passes, hit well, into center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here! Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout, the pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. What's going on? Happy first full week of January, everybody. First full week of 2020. I'm Trent Rush. Appreciate you joining us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. We have a big show to get to. Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to talk about a trade rumor that was out there regarding an elite pitcher and a top prospect. We're going to talk about that coming up a little bit later on. I'll talk about my Hall of Fame ballot. If I were to have one, who would be on it here for the 2020 class? But first, definitely got to talk about a couple of moves the Angels have made. Uh, One big move, one more minor move, but we're going to talk about them both here. First, we'll start with the addition of Jason Castro, 32-year-old catcher the Angels bring in. I am really excited about Jason Castro, and I know listeners of this show have heard me talk before about Jason Castro, and I've explained why I'm so high on this guy. Not only is he a catcher that can hit, um, again, only hit, hit 232 last year, 13 home runs, 38 RBI. Now, that might not be outstanding offensive numbers, but he's still a productive hitting catcher, and you don't see a whole lot of catchers that hit uh, for a real high average these days. There's just a handful of them. There's certainly not very many that can hit that are also outstanding defensive catchers, and Jason Castro is that. Really good behind the plate. Uh, His pitch framing is considered to be among the very best in baseball. Uh, He's ranked 7th in the junior circuit in pitch framing. He had just one error last year uh, in over 600 innings. I mean, he caught 79 games for the Minnesota Twins a season ago. I would imagine we're going to see Jason Castro probably catch close to 100 games for the Angels this year as he instantly slides in to that starting option for the Angels behind the plate. So, I mean, he's an upgrade offensively. He's certainly an upgrade over Max Stassi offensively. I also think that he's a better hitter than Kevin Smith. I I think that Castro, or at least he's a comparable hitter to Kevin Smith. He's definitely a much better defensive player. I think he's a better defensive player than Jonathan Lucroy. I think he's also a better offensive player at this point in their careers uh, than Jonathan Lucroy. So I think the Angels stepped up the catching position. And again, this isn't the kind of move that you know is going to instantly say, all right, here we go, that's the missing piece. But it's a move that helps a lot. I'm excited about Jason Castro for this more than anything else. He's a really good dude that's going to be really good for this staff. Jason Castro is going to improve the Angels pitching staff with his presence and with his ability to not just frame but to call pitches and also just being a leader in the clubhouse. You know, a difference between Jason Castro and, like, Jonathan Lucroy, Jonathan Lucroy was a lot of toughness, and there was some gruff there, and, and, and he was a, a great leader in his own right. Jason Castro is an outstanding leader in a different way. You know, he was somebody that was, you know, once a top pick coming out of Stanford and is just a great individual, just a, a really good dude. And I've talked with some of his former coaches that just rave about Jason Castro and what he can bring to a clubhouse, that he is going to be somebody that is going to be a really hard 
hard worker um, and is also somebody that will do anything you ask, that is really willing uh, to shoulder whatever task Joe Madden asks of him. And he's going to want to do that and want to help this team. And I'm pretty fired up about this signing for the Angels. I think it comes with a a relatively low risk, a one-year deal for a 32-year-old. I see Castro as an upgrade over Martin Maldonado even. I mean, Martin Maldonado from two, three years ago, pretty good, but we have seen regression in Martin. I think Jason Castro is a very solid pickup for the Angels. Uh, Again, a former 10th-round pick back in 2008, like I said, went to Stanford. He spent some time in the Astros organization last three years. He's been with the, the Minnesota Twins. Again, he's only a career 230 hitter, but for a catcher, you're good at that. And he hit a, a slightly above his career average last season. So you really haven't seen any offensive regression, but he has um, continued to keep up the defensive ability. And that's going to help this staff. At this point, look, the Angels have not brought in that front line, that ultimate top tier starting pitcher. So you have to find other ways to help the team. And if that comes from getting a catching piece that's going to be able to help this staff, I'm good with that. I think Jason Castro is going to be able to do that. Now, at the end of the day, Castro's not the one firing in pitches. So you still, if you're the Angels and and you want to contend for a World Series, you probably still have to go get that frontline guy. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's at the July 31st deadline. The the Angels probably still need to get that top-tier guy to be able to contend in the postseason. But they do have a lineup that's good enough, I think, to get to the playoffs right now. And by adding Jason Castro, it's just another piece that Epler has done uh, to help improve the overall strength of the Angels roster. And it's also about you know determining that run differential. Trying to find how many runs you're going to be able to score, how many runs you're going to be able to prevent. I think Jason Castro is one of those pieces that's going to help you score some more runs over a lot of other catchers out there. And he's also going to help you save some runs too by being an outstanding defensive catcher so he helps that ratio in a lot of ways Uh, Castro to me is the the perfect fit uh, for the Angels again like I've said before we've talked about him here on this show that Castro really seems to make a lot of sense unless the Angels were going to go try to make you know the big trade for trying to get like a Wilson Contreras and go that direction if you're not going to go the Contreras Grindall route which obviously the Angels weren't going to do I think Jason Castro is the next best option, and honestly, at the price tag, Castro might be a better option than any of those, because the Angels still have the ability, they still have some wiggle room under the luxury tax, they still have the chance to continue to tinker, to continue to make moves, to continue to improve this roster. So Castro checks a lot of boxes off for me, I like this move with Jason Castro. Another deal that the Angels made earlier this week was they got right-handed pitcher Kyle Keller in a trade of the Miami Marlins that sent a minor league catcher in Jose Estrada uh, to Miami. Jake Jewell designated for assignment in the process. I guess I should also mention Alberto Mejia uh, was DFA'd in the Castro signing. So um, but Keller's 26 years old. He, he pitched in 10 big league games of relief last year for Miami. I was actually surprised to see Miami give up on Kyle Keller because he has an outstanding curveball. I mean, his curveball is in the elite category. And at, at just uh, 26 years old and so little time in the major leagues, I think this is going to be a good piece for the Angels to continue to bolster a bullpen that I think is going to be a lot better coming up here in the 2020 season than they were in 2019. And they were a league average 
average bullpen already. I think they're going to be an above average bullpen with proper usage. Angels starting pitchers gave them no help last year uh, by having the fewest innings of any pitching staff across the majors. Well, that means the bullpen got taxed way too hard and they got put in some situations that weren't really fair to the bullpen. I think the bullpen is going to be better this coming year just with that alone. But Kyle Keller helps the bullpen. Again, he's got that really good curveball. Um, you know, former 18th round pick in uh, 2015. is a uh, Louisiana native. Spent a lot of time uh, with AAA New Orleans where he was really good. 73 strikeouts and 54 innings over 37 appearances last year. AAA hitters hit just 217 against him and had a, a 12.2 strikeout per nine uh, ratio. That was a 10th best in the Pacific Coast League. So to put up those kind of numbers in the PCL, that's really encouraging for me. I like the Kyle Keller addition a lot. Again, this isn't the kind of piece that's going to dramatically move the needle one way or the other. Uh, I don't know a ton about Keller beyond that, but the Angels were able to bring in a quality arm that has major league experience, that's young, that's controllable, that the Angels hope they can get something out of, and they didn't have to give up hardly anything to get him. So in that sense, I think it's a good move. This is not the game changer. This is not signing Anthony Rendon. But, you know, it's a nice trade. I think it's going to help uh, the back end of the bullpen. And, you know, maybe this is somebody that ends up, you know, trying to earn a sixth or seventh inning role, uh, kind of a spot in the Angels' uh, pen. So uh, hoping that Kyle Culler works out and, and Billy Epler in his tenure as the Angels' general manager has generally had quite a bit of success when it has come to making kind of these minor offseason trades for key pieces. I mean, I look at, you know, the trade, you know, bringing in Blake Parker worked uh, that season. You look at the trade to get Hansel Robles uh, last season. There have been uh, several of these cases where the Angels have made really savvy trades that really seem like uh, they're just kind of a drop-in-the-bucket kind of moves, but they end up, you know, working out pretty well for the Angels. So I think that the Angels are hoping that can uh, hit again. Like the, the Ty Buttry trade was a really good trade uh, to get him. And you gave up, you know, half a season or, or two months of Ian Kinsler, and you, you end up getting a really good pitcher out of that uh, in Ty Buttry, who may end up being a closer uh, for your team. So you know, Epler has had a lot of success with these kind of moves, and, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that this Kyle Keller move is going to work out. My question is, what else are the Angels going to do this offseason? And there's a couple of names that I want to talk about that could be potential fits for the Angels still. But first, got to let you know you can visit angels.com slash ticket plans or call 888-796-HALOS to buy the best ticket package for you. Pick the games you want and don't miss out on the best seats at the best price. Visit angels.com slash ticket plans or call 888-796-HALOS today. All right, a couple of names that are out there that are still available on the free agent market. Alex Wood, Yvonne Nova, Jalice Chassie. Three names right there, all projected uh, to be worth a a win to a win and a half for this coming season uh, when it comes to war. And you can get them, I think, at a pretty low cost that will still help this Angels rotation. I think any of those three are going to help this staff because you just want to have another piece that is of major league quality. Obviously, I think the Angels would like to be able to make a trade for a frontline starting pitcher. But if in that trade package a name like, let's just say, Patrick Sandoval is a desirable piece that has to go 
in one of those moves, you're going to need another big league caliber starting pitcher, especially with a little bit of uncertainty. I just think that one more of these guys, and let's say you were to get, let's say you could get Alex Wood for a similar deal that you got to Ron on. A one-year, $9 million. Let's just say that that ends up being what it is for Alex Wood. That is a piece that's just another quality major league arm, and you can take a little bit of risk here on another one of these one-year deals because you know that you're going to get innings from Tehran. You know you're going to get innings from Dylan Bundy. So you can take a chance on like a Wood or a Nova or, heck, even bring back Jolice Chassin, who we saw have some success other places. He had a tough year last year. Uh, but maybe he is somebody that you can get at a real low cost that he's able to have a bounce back. And maybe he's somebody that, you know, slides into like a, you know, a fifth starter role that can help the Angels. Maybe he ends up being better than that. But any of these guys that have major league experience that can help the rotation, I think are important to add because you have a lot of young options. I want to be able to give Jose Suarez more time in AAA. I want to see Jose Suarez continue to develop, and maybe we don't see Suarez in 2020. I think down the road, Suarez can be a really good major league starting pitcher. I just don't think that that time is today. He got in some trouble with some pitch tipping last year. He had some wipeout stuff when he first came up, and then teams figured him out, and then that's when he struggled lots some confidence. He actually had a good September. Bounced back his last couple of starts. Uh, but, you know, for Suarez, it, it's still going to be about development for him. But he can be a piece that down the road I think can help the Angels. But you can also buy some time. Plus, when you are playing the one-year contract game, you're not expecting to hit all of these. They're not all going to land. So you got to take some chances. And you hope that, you know, for one out of every four or five, you get one that ends up working out. Well, that means you probably got to take some more chances there. And again, the Angels still have some flexibility under the luxury tax at this point, about $20 million south of the luxury tax, according to a lot of the projections out there and the people that actually uh, do this stuff uh, and the math. I- I'm terrible at math, so I don't really get into that sense. But, you know, if you could get Nova for like one year, $9 million, um, you know, or, or Alex Wood, you know, similar deal, you'd probably get Jalice Chassin for half of that. Um, it would be interesting to see what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of move the Angels could make to continue to bolster this rotation. I know it's not the big name. I know it's not the superstar, you know, one of the top three, five guys that were out there this year. But these kind of pieces, if you get enough of them, that's going to help this rotation, especially if you end up wanting to make a trade, whether it be this offseason or doing it in July. Uh, this gives the Angels a little bit of flexibility so they can continue to improve the rotation and, um, you know, and, and go from there. So I, I still think the Angels will be able to sign one of these guys. I think that they will sign one of these guys. Um, It just has to be the right deal at the right price and we'll see what goes from there. I saw this uh, it was earlier this week. JP Morosi of MLB Network MLB.com. By the way, JP is a great, great reporter and he is somebody that I give him credit for this. He's never someone that's going to jump at something until he has like the most solid, definitive facts in front of him. So J.P. Morosi is somebody I always trust when it comes to stuff that's happening out there in the baseball world. One of the things that he floated was the potential talk that there might be some conversation regarding Mike Clevenger to the Angels. Now, part of that conversation, and why we haven't seen too much progression on this, maybe because the Angels don't want to do it, but there was some conversation about Mike Clevenger to the Angels, but the ask from Cleveland is for Joe Adele. So I put out on Twitter, 
which over 2,000 of you responded to. So I feel like that's a pretty good sample size. You guys responded, 82% of you would not trade Joe Adele to get Mike Clevenger. Now, I I lean on that side as well, and but I can easily make the argument for both cases because I think it's really close for what I would do. Would you trade away a guy that's projected to be the next Mike Trout? You know, you, you look at the actual projections, like they see him as, you know, maybe being like a Matt Kemp who, you know, before he really got involved in the Hollywood lifestyle, Matt Kemp was just a dynamite player. It's not every day you come across a five-tool player. So what do you do? You need starting pitching now. You still need to get that frontline guy. Right now, the Angels are a bubble playoff team. Right now, they're, they're looking like they're going to be wild card contenders. Maybe they make a push at the Astros who have regressed this offseason. From last year, the Astros will not be as good in 2020 as they were in 2019. I can say that with a lot of certainty. However, have the Angels done enough to make a run at Houston in the division or make a run in the wild card race? I think that right now the Angels are contenders. Like the way I see it stacking up right now, you got the Yankees winning the East. I love what the White Sox have done this offseason. I see them as the favorites in the AL Central. And then after that, right now, Houston is probably still the pick in the American League West. So what does that leave us? That leaves us with Tampa. That leaves us with Minnesota. That leaves us with Oakland's going to probably be in the mix still. Uh, you know, what are the what are the Red Sox going to be? And then there's the Angels. Not necessarily in that order. I'm just saying, like, the next five teams, the Angels are going to be one of those teams that is in the mix for the postseason. I mean, maybe the Rangers do enough to step up and they get in themselves into the conversation as well. But you look at all of it, where do the Angels stack up? Well, that's where the Angels are right now. They are a, a bubble playoff team. There's a lot of bubble playoff teams. There's like five. Uh, and the Angels are one of them. That's how I see it. Now, if you were to add Mike Clevenger to the Angels rotation, that would, I, in my opinion, take the Angels from being a little bit below average to right in that average range when it comes to overall pitching staff. And the Angels rotation does not have to be above average because this lineup is so good. I am still daydreaming over watching Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon hitting back-to-back in this lineup and, and projecting that and what it's going to be. It's, it's incredible. The Angels lineup is unbelievable. And I hope people can start to see that the Angels are going to be able to outslug teams. It's going to be amazing to watch this coming season. you got to have some pitching, though. And the Angels do have some pitching. I mean, getting Julio Tehran, uh, Dylan Bundy helps. Andrew Heaney is a good pitcher. Griffin Canning, Jose Suarez. You still have Shohei Otani once a week. All right, so the Angels pitching is better than it was last season. But it's still, in my opinion, I would not quite call it an average pitching staff. I still think they need another piece, like we've talked about. But if you were to make a trade for Mike Clevenger, that would help the rotation a ton. But if the ask is Joe Adele, is that something that you're comfortable with? Now, we already heard reports, and I don't know how true this is. Right? I guess we'll call them rumors more than reports, that Cleveland wanted Brandon Marsh when they were dealing Corey Kluber, and the Angels didn't want to go that route. So obviously the Angels believe a lot in Brandon Marsh. And maybe, but but I will also say that Corey Kluber is not Mike Clevenger. You know, Mike Clevenger is a lot younger and a lot more controllable. Like part of why Clevenger is so desirable, not only is he, you know, a top 10 to 20 pitcher in the game right now, he also has a contract that is so desirable at $4.5 million for this coming season and two more years of team control. There is huge value to that just in itself, and he's young, 
and Clevenger's best years could still be ahead of him. Corey Kluber's best years are behind him, and you're just hoping to get you know somewhere close to what he has been in the past. But you're not going to get the guy that you once saw in Corey Kluber. So the ask on Clevenger is going to be higher. The price tag is going to be higher. So the price tag is going to be higher on Mike Clevenger. Now, we don't know what kind of room the Angels have in the books and how much they're willing to spend. We know where the luxury tax is and how much wiggle room the Angels have to get to the luxury tax, and that's about $20 million. Now, I will throw out a couple of ideas. Now, if you were to trade away Joe Adele to get Mike Clevenger, you still have an opportunity to go on the free agent market and try to bring in either a Nicholas Castellanos or a Marcelo Zuna. And Ozuna would be a lot cheaper, I think, than Castellanos. Now, if you were to sign Ozuna, that's another guy that rejected his qualifying offer, so you'd have to give up another draft pick. So now you're already down a second-round pick. You'd also be down a third-round pick if you were to go get Ozuna. So that comes into play in all this as well. But if you're trying to fill a void and you believe that Joe Adele is going to be an everyday major leaguer in 2020, which he might be. I think he's going to be afforded the opportunity to earn that chance. Right now, I'm slotting in Brian Goodwin as being the opening day right fielder for the Angels. But I think Joe Adele is going to have a chance to earn that. And I would not not be overly concerned with the service time presence because I think that if Joe Adele earns the job, Starting the season, he will be the opening day right fielder if he earns it in spring training. But he's got to do that. That still has to happen. So you'd be bringing in if you were to make a if you were to make a free agent signing and bring in Castellanos or Ozuna. Castellanos more expensive, Ozuna cheaper, but you lose a draft pick, and then make that trade for Mike Clevenger. Now you solve your option as you have your front line starter, and you also now have in your lineup another bat which then puts you right there with the Yankees as the top two lineups in baseball, okay? If you do that move, you're a World Series contender today, but you're also leveraging your future. And you're also giving up somebody that is a 5 tool player that might very well be a multiple-time All-Star. He might be like an Alex Bregman type. Boy, you look back on it now, could you imagine if Houston were to trade away Alex Bregman because they needed a starting pitcher? Man, that's a tough place to be. But it would make the Angels World Series contenders right now. They already have the lineup for that. They just need the pitching. Counterside of that, maybe Joe Adele is that guy. Maybe the Angels already have that piece to make their lineup the best or one of the best in baseball. I think it already. I would already consider the Angels lineup to be elite. But to be like the best lineup in baseball, if Joe Adele ends up being what he is projected to be, and he is a consensus top five prospect in the sport, you talk to anybody, they will say he's a top five prospect. Some have him as high as one. Some have him as low as five. He's consensus top five, though. Joe Adele is. And typically, when you see somebody like that, typically that sticks in the big leagues. But it's still a projection. He is still a prospect. We don't know what Joe Adele is going to be at the major league level. We can project really, we can have an idea, but we don't know what Joe Adele is going to be in the big leagues. We do know what Mike Clevenger is. We do know what Nicholas Castellanos is. We do know what Marcelo Zuna is. So let's just say in our little dreamland here that, you know, if, if money is no object and we get to pretend like we're the general managers here on Halo Side stuff, maybe that could be a direction. However, do you really want to trade away a consensus top five prospect? Do you really want to give up somebody that the Angels believe so highly in? Do you want to give away somebody that people project as a multiple-time All-Star? It would be really tough 
to trade this guy away. And you guys don't want to do it. 82% of fans with over 2,000 responses, 82% said they would not trade Joe Adele to get Mike Clevenger. And I think that's the direction I lean, barely, but it's really close. Because I do get myself in a dreamland. You're filling a need in your pitching staff. You're still adding a big-time bats lineup if the Angels were to go that route. I'm not saying that the Angels would. But they would be able to afford it and probably be able to stay under the luxury tax because Clevenger's only getting $4.5 million for this coming season. So the Angels probably could afford to do that. If we're calling the luxury tax the extent of the budget, the Angels would have room to do that. Not saying that they would, but that possibility uh, could exist. There are a lot of good takes on Twitter about this. By the way, my name is Trent Rush. You can find me on Twitter at Trent Rush Sports, and this is where a lot of people sent in some tweets. At Turks Teeth says, Impact outfielders are precisely the number one area of strength on the Angels' farm. Meanwhile, a three-year contract for a frontline starter is the rarest, most valuable contract in baseball. Clevenger is getting Kyle Gibson money over the next three years. I do this trade any day of the week. So that is somebody that is in the 18% on this. Aaron Burkhart says, quote, it isn't my first choice, but I'll do it. The need for an ace in this era of baseball is undeniable. Pitching wins championships, and every championship team for the last five years has proven that. Angels Dugout says, point blank, if you want the Angels to be contenders now, then you trade Adele for Clevenger. If you want to be a contender in 2023, then you keep Adele. Well, I, I, personally, I, I think that the Angels are going to be contenders uh, regardless, no matter what they decide to do. And, and it's just how long of a window do you want? But I do agree with the fact that if you were to make that move in, in 2020, the Angels are legit World Series contenders. You're not building. It shrinks your window, but it increases your chances immediately. John Schmoltz says, I feel the same way about Joe Adele that I did with Mike Trout. He has the same potential as a player as Mike does. The idea of a future outfield of Marsh, Trout, and Adele for about 10 years sounds pretty good to me. Alex9000 says, the value is there. Clevenger is exactly what we need, but I think you got to hold on to Adele. Not only is Adele on track to be a star, but we just cleared the way for him. I think you can still get a pitcher, maybe not as good, but in the same realm for cheaper in Boyd, Price, and Stroman. If Adele can come up and provide Tatis Alonzo value on that rookie contract, you'll be kicking yourselves for moving him. Get Price. Boston can retain salary. Sign Wood, not as good as Clevenger, but keeping Adele, getting a good pitcher in Price, and bounce back candidate in Wood. Alex9000 actually, to me, hit the nail on the head. I, I think that's probably exactly where I lean. I, we talked earlier about Alex Wood and the chances that the Angels uh, could have to get somebody like that. Now, I think it'd be a different conversation. Let's just say it was some package of Marsh, Thais, Rangifo. That's a haul. Like those three, maybe somebody else too in that that's not named Jeremiah Jackson or Joe Adele. Somebody else in that mix. That, that would be an absolute haul you'd be giving Cleveland to try to get Mike Clevenger. But maybe Cleveland is saying, hey, we want Joe Adele or we're not trading this guy. Maybe that's what the conversation is. You know what's interesting too is the Angels don't have to make the move for frontline starting pitching today. The Angels can do it at the July 31st trade deadline. And as the season progresses, the price for Clevenger is going to go down. Like, Clevenger might cost Joe Adele today. The Indians might be willing to take another prospect in July to get this guy. So the price tag could be going down because part of the value is you'd be losing half a season of value. Maybe that's the difference. So maybe the Angels can wait on this guy. And maybe the thought is, well, if we're going to trade away Joe Adele, well, then maybe we should be trading for a pitcher better than Mike Clevenger. Maybe that means that we should be talking to the Mets for Noah Syndergaard. Maybe that's the conversation. If you're going to be willing to give up Adele, I think that opens up the door for a lot more options for the Angels, and maybe they think they can do better than Clevenger for Adele. Maybe that's the idea that's happening right now. We don't know exactly.
like I've said before, I'm on the fence on this. I do fall on the side, I think, of not wanting to trade Joe Adele. Well, for one reason, I really like Joe Adele, and I think he's really good. And as much as I know the Angels need pitching, uh, I'm not sure that I am willing to trade uh, Joe Adele at this point. And we've talked about other scenarios, too. Um, I was also asked about this on when I was on MLB Network. Um, they asked me about what would you rather do? Would you rather have... If you're the Angels, make the signing of Anthony Rendon or for similar money, try to get Keiko, Ryu, Bumgarner, get two of those three. Maybe you bring in Yasmani Grandal, maybe you bring in Moustakis, maybe Will Harris. And you can, you know, if you could you could have like three of those guys for the price of Rendon. Would you have rather done that? And when I was on the show, I said, you know, perfect world. Obviously, you would have liked to have seen the Angels be able to add more to the pitching staff. But, you know, it's not every day you get to bring in a superstar like Anthony Rendon. I mean, you're talking about somebody that is a a for sure top 10, possibly top 5 hitter in the sport. And he's an elite defensive player. So you have that together with with Trout and Rendon. It's just crazy to think about that. But it is an interesting philosophy. Would you have rather had a bunch of, you know, B-level players or bring in the one A-plus level player. And when you're trying to build a championship team, you know which is the direction you would rather go. It's not like the Angels are just one piece away. They've had to add several pieces. I think that this shouldn't be lost on anybody. One, we've talked about this before on the show. I'm not sure Ryu is an answer. I'm not sure Ryu is that guy. So for me, I'm kind of scratching him off right away. I thought he was somebody that had a really dominant contract year last season. There's too many red flags with Hyunjin Ryu for me to be willing to go that route. It sounds like Madison Bumgarner did not want to go to an American League team, and it sounds like he also didn't want to go to a team in California. So those are two things for a lot of the same reasons why we got Shohei Otani, some of those same reasons are why we didn't get Madison Bumgarner. So that seemed to be like, those are two right there. I didn't really want Ryu, and Bumgarner might have been out of the Angels' control. Then you look at Dallas Keuchel. I would have really liked to have seen Dallas Keuchel, and he is part of the reason why I think the White Sox have had such an unbelievable offseason. I think that if you swap the two moves, like if you were to take Keuchel off the White Sox and put him on the Angels, everyone would be talking about, oh, the Angels by far had the best offseason of anybody. Right now, all the talk is going to Chicago, while the Angels have had an outstanding offseason. I've been really happy, um, and you should be too, with what the Angels have done this offseason so far. But then Dallas Keuchel says, well, he wanted to go somewhere where you know there was already a proven catcher. Well, the Angels at that point had not yet signed Jason Castro. So the Angels kind of had a question mark behind the dish. Yes, you had Max Stassi, but he's a little banged up. Not a whole lot of depth beyond that. And you didn't have a great catcher like Jason Castro back there yet. So at that point, that could have been you know a factor in the decision for why Dallas Keuchel went to Chicago instead of coming to the Angels. Uh, Keuchel is somebody I would have loved to have had. Will Harris would have been somebody I would have really liked to have seen in the back of the Angels' bullpen. He would have been an expensive bullpen piece. And like I've talked about before, I do think it'd be nice to see the Angels maybe bring in one veteran uh, that would not cost very much, uh, that has had some proven success, just kind of to help mentor a lot of these good young arms in this Angels' pen. I I like the Angels' pen, and I think it's going to continue to get better 
better because I think they're going to be used better here in the 2020 season uh, with the new manager in Joe Madden and with a better starting rotation. I mean, you can say that the Angels rotation has not improved enough for your liking, but it has improved. It is better. You got two really quality major league starters that are going to be able to give you innings, go deeper into games, be consistent starters for you in Tehran and Bundy, and you also have Shohei Otani pitching once a week who has ace-like potential. So instantly, the Angels rotation is better with that group. And as a result, I think the bullpen is going to be better because of that. So while I think it would have been nice to add multiple pieces, I think that A, some of it was out of the Angels' control, and B, the Angels got Anthony Rendon. It is a huge deal having this guy, and I hope that fans can start to think about this as they get closer to spring training, just how big of a deal it is to have two of the ten best hitters in the sport. You can argue two of the top five or top six hitters in the sport and Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. It's crazy to think about just how special uh, this is going to be. All right, I want to talk about this Hall of Fame ballot. I do not have a Hall of Fame vote. I am not a member of the Baseball Writers Association, so that means that I get to talk, and it's not going to be anything impactful too much, right? So we can kind of just share opinions, and uh, I want to get some ideas about what your thoughts are on the Hall of Fame ballot. But I'm going to give you mine because the way I see it this year, I see a lot of question marks. There's one automatic. There's one guy that is a Hall of Fame automatic. And I'm not filling up. You get if I was a voter, I would get 10 spots that I could vote, that I could fill in names, check their box to get into the Hall of Fame, get into Cooperstown. The only guy for me that is a surefire automatic is going to be Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is an automatic. He, he is for sure getting in, and it's it's kind of interesting with Jeter. He may not get 100% of the vote because there are some people that say, oh, well, he wasn't even the best shortstop on his team, and he wasn't the best shortstop of his time, and no, Derek Jeter is getting in. And, and I can understand the argument, and I can understand that part of the allure of Derek Jeter is what he did more so in the postseason and being a Yankee and you know the, what he meant to New York and, and the emotional element the emotion that is a stat or that is attached with Derek Jeter might be greater than if you were to like objectively look at Derek Jeter. And if you objectively look at Derek Jeter's numbers throughout his career, uh, I'm going to tell you that it's good enough. It, it, it stands. It stands Hall of Fame worthy. Over 3,000 hits, stole over 350 bags, not to mention he's a four-time All-Star, he's got the World Series rings. I mean, the whole picture for Derek Jeter is beyond impressive, and Rookie of the Year honors, um, Derek Jeter's automatic. That's not even worth really going too much into, uh, because there are going to be some people that don't want to vote for him just because of their preconceived notions about Derek Jeter, but Derek Jeter is a Hall of Famer, and there's uh, no other way to put it, that's going to be a shoo-in. The question is, what happens with these steroid guys, right? The alleged steroid guys, I should say. I mean, it was never proven, right? It was never truly proven about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. It was truly proven about Manny Ramirez. He tested positive a couple times. So I'm really torn here because I am somebody that is of the belief that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are Hall of Fame caliber players. They would be Hall of Fame caliber players, steroids or not. And they belong in. I think that 
the use of or the alleged use of steroids prolonged their careers. I think that because of that, they were able to uh, stay healthier longer. They were able to play longer. They were able to have a lot more success later in their careers. That I absolutely believe. But I think that they would have probably had Hall of Fame or they would have had Hall of Fame caliber careers regardless. And they also were playing in an era where it was done. I mean, what, what's the advantage if you're a pitcher using steroids facing a hitter using steroids, right? So that, that's kind of the way I see it, um, at least in that era, and there is no like definitive evidence. But here's my thing. I have a really hard time putting Manny Ramirez in, but I'm okay with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Does that make me a hypocrite? And I, I think that there is a chance that you know that very well could happen, that we could see Bonds and Clemens get in. We are talking about, with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, we are talking about two of the greatest players. We are talk, talking about arguably the two best players of that generation, right? You could make that case. I mean, I grew up watching Roger Clemens. He was one of my favorite pitchers growing up. I mean, this guy was unbelievable. And there is a human element to watching Roger Clemens as a kid and loving Roger Clemens and knowing how good he was, and maybe that's part of why I want to put him in. Because to me, Rocket is a Hall of Famer. And, I mean, the numbers are – it's like with Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, you can't even look at the numbers because the numbers are so beyond Hall of Fame worthy. They don't just get into the hall. They get on, like, the top tier of the hall. They get on the very top floor. They, they are in the, the very best positioning in the Hall of Fame. With those guys. They should be, anyway, based on what they've done in their careers and their accomplishments. And I think that's what the Hall of Fame is really supposed to be about. And there are other guys that have been in that have been, you know, questionably linked to steroids, right? So where do we draw the line here? And this is what's hard for me because those guys I see as shoe-in Hall of Famers. So I have them on my ballot. I have Bonds, Clemens, and Jeter on my ballot. I cannot, I cannot submit a Hall of Fame ballot without the two best players that I grew up watching in Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. I got to have those guys on, okay? Uh, I already talked about Derek Jeter, but what do you do with Manny Ramirez? I mean, Manny Ramirez, his numbers are, I guess you you would say Manny Ramirez had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. I mean, his war is 69.4 in his career. That, that it should be enough to get it done right there. A career OPS, just under 1,000. 312 batting average lifetime, over 550 home runs. I mean, 1,800 RBI. Manny Ramirez, I mean, and how about the string of All-Stars? How about he was an All-Star every year from 98 to 2008? Talk about a decade right there. 12-time All-Star Manny Ramirez was, World Series champion. I mean, you you could go with Manny Ramirez, and I know he had the crazy uh, Manny being Manny moments, and, you know, he was an all-time character, but dude could hit, man. He was a masher. Led the... American League and batting average in 2002. Actually, he was the batting champ in 2002. Led the AL and OPS three times in his career. How many silver sluggers does this guy have? Nine, ten silver sluggers. I mean, he's been an MVP finalist many times. Manny Ramirez, you look at the numbers and you'd say, okay, well, this guy's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, not just testing positive once, but twice for performance-enhancing drugs. That is something that I have a hard time with with Manny Ramirez. So for me, I'm not putting Manny Ramirez on my ballot. And maybe I'm a hypocrite for wanting Bonds and Clemens in and not Manny Ramirez. Maybe my opinion on Manny Ramirez will change. But I just know from what I saw that Bonds and Clemens 
are Hall of Famers. There is no other way to put it. Actually, Manny won two World Series. And then there's Manny Ramirez, who I just have a hard time with. As good as he was, I just don't know that I can put somebody that, in, that tested positive twice. So then what do I do with Alex Rodriguez when that time comes? I mean, is Alex Rodriguez a Hall of Famer? You could say that A-Rod is right there with Bonds and Clemens. You Actually, that's, that's easy to say, that he's right there with Bonds and Clemens. But he had multiple positive tests. So what do you do with A-Rod when that time comes? Do you put A-Rod on the side of Manny Ramirez, or do you put him on the side with Clemens and Bonds? So does that mean Clemens and Bonds only get in because they didn't test positive? They didn't get caught? So they get in, but A-Rod got caught, so he doesn't? I know it's a, it's a tricky thing to figure out. It is a it's a moral dilemma. I'll tell you that. It is also a you know trying to figure out a, a baseball dilemma because Alex Rodriguez does belong in the Hall of Fame based on what he did in his career. And at some point, we might just have to accept that that is an era where those things happened, and there was still greatness that was had. Alex Rodriguez was still a great player. Steroids or not, A-Rod was one of the best ever. So what do you do when that time comes? I just don't know. See, but Manny Ramirez, to me, is not in the same class of A-Rod or Clemens or Bonds. So for me, Manny Ramirez, on a level playing field, assuming that either everybody was on steroids or that nobody was on steroids, level playing field, Manny Ramirez, to me, is like a B-plus Hall of Famer. Whereas A-Rod, Clemens, Bonds, those are A-plus Hall of Famers. So because those guys are in the most upper of echelons, do they get in despite the link to steroids, whereas Manny Ramirez doesn't? I don't know. Maybe that's where I fall. I don't know what I would do with Alex Rodriguez if he was Hall of Fame eligible yet. But with Manny Ramirez, I'm not ready to put him in. I'm not there on Manny Ramirez. Um, I'm, I'm snubbing Jeff Kent, and I'm snubbing Gary Sheffield. And probably because, um, you know, similar things, but also because I just don't know that their careers were Hall of Fame worthy. It's the Hall of the best ever, not the Hall of very good. And maybe I am a tough judge on that. I do see Larry Walker as being a Hall of Famer. Five-time All-Star was the MVP in 97, three-time batting champ. I know people will say, Coors, 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 and talk all about the numbers in Colorado, how that inflated his career. To me, Larry Walker is still a Hall of Famer, and he's a franchise icon. And I think that there is value to that, similar to how Derek Jeter gets in. And I don't care what your franchise is, whether you're the New York Yankees or the Colorado Rockies, when you are a franchise icon and you have a Hall of Fame worthy career, you belong in Cooperstown. So I have Larry Walker in. I also have Scott Rowland in, a seven-time All-Star, won the World Series. And the thing about Scott Rowland is he was widely considered to be the best third baseman of his era and was for a long time. So, I I mean, Scott Rowland, for many years, it was just assumed, oh yeah, Scott Rowland, I mean, he's going to be the All-Star third baseman in the National League. It was just no question about it. He was that guy. So I, I have Scott Rowland in. I have Kurt Schilling in. And I know his ERA is not like the most elite ever. 3-4-6, still very good, but a six-time All-Star. Three times he was a Cy Young runner-up. And he also won two World Series. And what Kurt Schilling did, you know, whether it be the Bloody Sock in Boston, whether it be as dominant as he was, co-World Series MVP with Randy Johnson, in 2001 when the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees. 
I mean, his October performances alone should be enough to get Kurt Schilling in. He is an October hero. So I see Kurt Schilling as a Hall of Famer. I have Kurt Schilling in. I also have Omar Vizquel in, and I went back and forth on this one. 11 gold gloves. Now, the batting numbers are not there for Omar Vizquel, but the 11 gold gloves was, again, kind of like Scott Rowland, what everyone knew was the best third baseman at the time. Omar Vizquel was like a slam dunk, great shortstop, one of the best defensive players of all time. So he has to be in. I, I value the glove. I value defense. And for that, Omar Vizquel belongs in the Hall of Fame, regardless of you know, his batting numbers not being elite. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I go back and forth with like Andleton Simmons. Andleton Simmons, better offensive player than Omar Vizquel. Certainly has been since he's been with the Angels. And you can make the case that um, Andleton Simmons is as good of a shortstop. I mean, it, it, many people will say Andleton Simmons is the best shortstop they've ever seen. And Omar Vizquel, he's got the hardware. He's got the 11 gold gloves. What's Simba got? Four? So not nearly enough. But, uh, you know, is Anderson Simmons a Hall of Famer? Probably not. I mean, there's an outside chance. But Omar Vizquel getting in could open the door potentially for Anderson Simmons down the road if he keeps this up. He's, he's going to have to do what he's done the last five years. He's going to have to do it for the next five years. And that's going to be hard to do. The other one I really had a hard time with was Andrew Jones. I mean, you're talking about a nine-time gold glover, five all-stars. Only hit 254 in his career, um, was an important piece to the Atlanta Braves franchise. Not the franchise icon, you know, not his fault, but Chipper Jones was on the field the whole time Andrew Jones was there. So I, I have a hard time with Andrew Jones. Again, that's a bubble one for me. He's going to be on the wrong side of the bubble. I don't know, maybe I'm too critical. Uh, but on my ballot, I have seven. I have Bonds, Clemens, Jeter. Larry Walker, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Omar Vizquel. So those are my seven that I'm putting in. You get ten. I'm just having seven. If I had a vote, I do not have a vote. Um, let me know some of your thoughts and let me know who you would put in the Hall of Fame. Again, find me on Twitter, at Trent Rush Sports. Would love to hear your opinions on this. Really uh, appreciate the conversation. Look, I, I love being active on social media. I love the opportunity to connect with you guys and to be able to um, make this really personal. This is this is the beauty of this station. It's the beauty of this show is we can have these conversations. I love going out to events, whether it be you know the OG's watch parties or um, you know events all across uh, Southern California, whether it be the Angels Booster Club meetings, uh, any of that. I love getting a chance to see you guys, and uh, that's always lots of fun for me. So give me your opinion. I know that there are smart, smart baseball people out there, uh, so I want to know who you would have in the Hall of Fame. I'm just telling you this is who would be on my hypothetical ballot that's going to do it for us here on the angels recap podcast do invite you to click subscribe rate review give us some feedback we'd love to hear from you obviously uh, you can find me on twitter as well at trent rush sports would love to get your thoughts on this i'm excited about what has already happened this offseason and what's still to come with angels baseball and spring training a little over five weeks away when pitchers and catchers report i'm ready for it i know you are too keep up with everything halo hot stuff right here on the Angels Recap Podcast and also tune into the show live, Halo Hot Stove on Angels Radio AM 830.